there are changes to the guidelines with respect to how Fannie Mae and even Freddie Mac view loans uh, related to mortgages. Homeowners could be uh, in situations where they have very little opportunity to get financing. Most people are not equipped to understand the seemingly endless facets of an HOA. That's why we're here, to help you become uncommonly prepared to serve your HOA. Whether you're a board member or a manager, join us in the Uncommon Area. Welcome to the Uncommon Area. I'm Matthew Holbrook, and this episode is going to be addressing the question of how you as an HOA could potentially disqualify owners and buyers in your community from being able to get the lending that they need. Uh, there's a lot going on in this area and a lot has changed, especially uh, considering what happened in Florida with Champlain Towers. And we want to uh, be able to unpack that for you here in this episode. So here to talk to me and to us about uh, this topic is Jeff Corain of the firm um, Corain Storts. And I uh, just want to say thank you, Jeff, for joining us and uh, being a part of this. I know this is uh, an area that you have some expertise in, so I appreciate you being a part of this. Thanks for having me, Matthew. Well, I guess just to get started, um, there are some significant changes uh, with regard to lending um, as it relates to HOAs, specifically in the area of um, what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac do. And uh, maybe before we get too far into this, uh, you, if you could just address and uh, explain who Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are and why we might care about that. Sure. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are semi-private corporations. They were actually set up uh, by Congress um, to help to stabilize the mortgage market, provide liquidity, and essentially package uh, mortgages into these mortgage-backed securities. Um, in 2008, when the real estate market uh, took a nosedive, the government bailed out Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and uh, put them into receivership. So essentially the government injected almost $200 billion into Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac so that they wouldn't fold. And then the stock prices for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac collapsed from being up around $80 a share down to basically now they're penny stocks. Um, they've been delisted from the exchanges um, and what the federal government is doing to get paid back on the bailout is they do basically net worth sweeps on Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So all of the profits that these two corporations make go to the government. Um, and even though they have paid back all of the principal amount of the bailout, uh, the government is continuing to do these net worth sweeps. Um, so the stock price is still penny stocks, um, but they still are providing the same function in the market that they were providing before, which is to provide this liquidity uh, in the mortgage market. Um, they support about 70% of mortgages that exist in the United States. So if I was just to summarize why a, uh, a board member or a manager of an HOA might really care about this topic and what we're going to get into, um, what you're saying is there are, or what we're going to get into is that there are changes to the guidelines with respect to how Fannie Mae and even Freddie Mac view loans uh, related to mortgages, and those um, 
that makes up about 70% of mortgage loans. And so if a homeowners association is disqualified from um, having their homes be uh, financed by uh, mortgages that are related to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, then homeowners could be um, in situations where they have very little opportunity to get financing. Um, so maybe you could address, uh, just as we start, what is the impact of the Champlain Towers disaster and how is that kind of rolled into this situation that we're talking about? After the Champlain Towers uh, tragedy in Surfside, Florida, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac very quickly uh, changed their rules to put in some temporary rules to encourage community associations and especially um, condo projects uh, to be responsible with their maintenance, to avoid having unrepaired critical issues, um, and to make sure that associations are adic have adequately funded reserves. Um, so they put in those... Uh, they put in those new rules very, very quickly, um, within months after the Champlain Towers tragedy. Uh, they, uh, when normally when a governmental entity uh, puts together rules, they will uh, send them out for public comment. Um, in this case, what Fannie and Freddie did, since they're private corporations, um, they put together a group that included Community Associations Institute, it included the um, National Association of Realtors, and included some mortgage companies, and they had them help them draft these new rules. Um, but because they were private corporations, they had the entities uh, sign non-disclosure agreements. Um, so they're not even allowed to discuss with their members how they came to the new rulemaking. But essentially, now that the new rulemaking is out, the Fannie Freddie rules have uh, much, much stricter requirements with regard to the physical condition of the properties, the reserve studies uh, that an association needs to have, um, and uh, just the general overall financial stability of a project. So it's really coming down to how, uh, how well maintained an association is and how well they're funding their reserves. And if either of those reach a certain level of, of um, lack of maintenance and that there's, uh, there are concerns regarding the maintenance or the re concerns regarding the, the reserve funding, uh, an association could find itself um, where the homes, the, the, the homeowners or buyers to, in that community are not able to, to get uh, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac financing. Is that, is that an accurate way to put it? Yeah. These new Fannie Mae rules that Freddie Mac essentially follows, um, they make it so that if an association has any defects with any critical element um, or system failure that they think is going to um, occur within one year, if there's any mold, water intrusion, or other leaks, um, any physical deterioration, um, or any unfunded repairs, um, then they'd make them ineligible. And for the unfunded repairs, they actually put a dollar number on that. If the repairs an association needs exceeds $10,000 per unit, um, then Fannie Mae would consider those projects ineligible. So this is uh, really important, uh, maybe just to start with the, the reserve component. There are uh, um, a lot of associations that look at their reserves, and, and while they may have um, concerns that they're underfunded in reserves, they fall back on, well, there's no legal requirement to fund to a certain level um, in, uh, in most states. And, um, and, and so 
they're not considering the consequences of the that lack of funding and reserves beyond the reality that they may have to special assess or do something in the future to be able to to provide that funding. What you're suggesting is they could actually end up in a situation where, again, their their homeowners aren't able to get financing for their homes. Yeah, essentially, these new Fannie Mae rules with regard to reserve funding will go into effect on September 18th, 2023, which is just in a few days. Um, and even though a lot of states don't have reserve funding requirements, like you said, it has essentially created a reserve funding requirement that goes um, across the board to all states. Um, so Fannie Mae is going to require that all associations put away at least 10% into their reserves. Um, the only exception to that would be if an association actually goes out and gets a reserve study, like is required in some states, and then they are completely funded within uh, the recommendations of their reserve study. So this 10% guideline. I was interested in that. What happens when you have a condo association that has a very high level of staffing and so their budget is inflated with a a really high dollar amount that is paying for that staffing? Um, That could create a scenario where where, uh, you're, you're looking at funding at 10% of a really, really large number. Um, Are there any considerations for that type of a situation? There are. That's a good question. All each of these loans are actually put together by um, private banks. And while they have to follow the Fannie Mae rules, they do have uh, some discretion with regard to how they apply the rules. And they're able to look at the funding to make sure that it's not otherwise inappropriate. So if an association, like you said, did have really high uh, uh, assessments going towards staffing needs or something that would be out of a normal association. There would be exceptions in the Fannie Mae rules for that that would probably not keep those associations from getting qualified. So for a manager or a board member of an HOA that might be in that kind of a situation, they're looking at their numbers and they're saying, look, we think we're funding our our reserves adequately, but it's not meeting that 10% threshold because of X or Y or Z reason. Um, who, who should the, the manager or the board member go to? Who do, you, who do you talk to to ensure that you're not going to end up in a situation where uh, your, your residents are not able to get funding? Yeah, it's a great idea that associations deal with this up front uh, before they have homeowners falling out of sales. They really should contact their general counsel if their general counsel is versed um, in Fannie Mae requirements. Um, if not, I think they could probably, you know, reach out to individual lenders or individual attorneys that are, you know, very keyed in um, to real estate law and try to get someone to take a look at their reserve study and the reserve funding to determine whether they would actually fall within the Fannie Mae requirements. And then if they don't, then make those adjustments before homeowners have a problem with getting right. financing. Yeah, it seems like this is something that uh, would be important for associations to get out in front of, to assess their own their own association and to ensure that they are going to be able to be in compliance. Um, Can you speak to what kinds of associations does this apply to? Is is this for every, every kind of homeowners association or are there certain groups of associations? So the, the Fannie Mae requirements, the new ones that came out of the Champlain tower uh, tragedy apply to condominium projects, uh, co-op projects um, and manufactured home projects. 
Um, and to some extent, when they look at condo projects, if a condo project only has a couple of units, they're probably going to be excluded from the new rules. Okay. So we're not talking about single family home communities, PUDs, those types of communities. This does not apply. Yeah. Fortunately, uh, for homeowners that live in townhome projects or single family home projects, um, these new rules uh, won't apply. Um, they'll still have to deal with the basic Fannie Mae approval requirements, but they won't have to deal with this new heightened scrutiny, scrutiny that Fannie Mae um, has created for condominium associations. So there are existing guidelines. There's new guidelines going into place this month, and uh, it's for primarily for condo associations that are more than a couple of units. It's worth paying attention to these new guidelines and ensuring that um, your association is going to, to meet those requirements. Um, and the requirements, is it, is it fair to say, I just want, um, maybe I'm summarizing, but I want to make sure we have clarity here. It's primarily around reserve funding and, um, and uh, overall, I'm using the word maintenance, but if there are, are repair projects that are not funded that meet a threshold of, I believe you said $10,000, those would be the, the primary means of being disqualified? So for homeowners that are in a townhome community um, or a single family home community, there's still going to be some requirements. For example, um, they will only provide funding for residential communities and there will be a basic need for the community to be safe, sound and structurally secure. But that won't be determined by engineering reports um, or a more detailed review like they will perform for a condominium project. Um, essentially, so long as the appraiser comes in and gives the project its stamp of approval, then uh, a single-family homeowner or a town homeowner would be able to get financing. Um, when you're talking about condominiums, there's a whole other set of rules that are going to come into play. Um, for example, in condominium projects, the non-residential space can't exceed 35%, um, which is why uh, a lot of times when you see condominium buildings that have uh, retail on the first floor, you're going to see them, they're going to be at least three-story buildings so that they can keep the retail you know, under 35%. Um, a single entity can't own um, more than 20% of the units in a condominium project. Um, the association members can't be um, too past due in payment of their assessments, um, and there can't be litigation uh, that might affect the financial stability of the project. All right. Um, I'm curious on the uh, the single owner owning, you said, more than 20% of the units. How does this apply for new developments? Um, it applies for new developments as well as older developments. Um, this can uh, present an issue when you still have a developer or a declarant who's in charge of the association and still owns several units. Um, for smaller projects, basically, if one entity owns more than two units, um, that's going to be a disqualification. Uh, when you talk about a larger entity, you can't have a single, um, a larger association, you can't have a single entity that owns more than 20% of the units. So what they're really looking for is they want projects that are beyond that period of declarant control. Um, in order for them to properly um, qualify for Fannie Mae funding. Um, a lot of declarants will be able to get around this requirement in some respects because they won't annex units into the association um, until sometime later, till after the units are sold, so that the units that are still under development um, and owned by the declarant won't technically be part of the association. Right. So talk about uh, construction defect um, issues. Uh, what happens when an association is in, in defect litigation? Uh, 
um, what, what happens with regard to this type of funding under these guidelines? So for condo associations, financing during construction defect litigation has always been a challenge. Um, there's always been this concern that with condo litigation that Fannie Mae is going to uh, apply a very heightened scrutiny and only in certain litigations would Fannie Mae approve a condominium community that's in litigation uh, for financing. Um, for example, litigation that might be over minor issues or if the construction defects are limited to just a small number of units um, or if the litigation is for non-monetary. Um, or they would possibly provide financing for an association where there's construction defects that have already been repaired and the association is seeking to recoup the money for making those repairs. Um, those are the types of litigations where a condo project can get financing. Um, we've actually found that with townhome um, and single-family home properties that the Fannie Mae rules have not provided as much of a problem for financing and the litigation requirements for the townhomes and the single-family homes, they don't apply. Uh, so for condominium projects, what we've had to do as a firm is to direct homeowners to other financing programs uh, where homeowners can obtain financing, such as portfolio loans. And there's a lot of banks out there that rather than going through the Fannie Mae program where they make a mortgage and then Fannie Mae purchases the mortgage to package it um, into a mortgage-backed security and sell it to another bank, um, what, with portfolio loans, the bank holds on to the mortgage. Um, so they can use their own rules for financing, and typically those banks are going to be less concerned with the existence of construction defect litigation. Well, shifting to in another direction, I, uh, I wanted to address the question of uh, just uh, homeowners associations reporting to Fannie Mae and ensuring that they do that accurately and correctly. I'm aware of certain situations where maybe reports were made that were not accurate and it resulted in um, an association being surprised that they ended up in a situation where they um, uh, their homeowners couldn't get Fannie Mae financing. Maybe uh, you could speak to that. What, what does that look like and, and what should an association consider? So the first thing an association should look at is whether they should be receiving the Fannie Mae condo questionnaire at all. Um, the Fannie Mae requirements are about 2,000 pages long. So even the individual lenders who are working with Fannie Mae, a lot of them don't understand the requirements and they make mistakes. So what we have seen in the past, we've seen lenders who will send condo questionnaires off to townhome communities and to single family home communities, and then the manager doesn't know what to do with it. Um, they don't know if they should respond to the questionnaire, if they should push it back, um, or how they respond to that when they receive a questionnaire in error. Um, for a condominium association, which is the only association that should be receiving a condominium questionnaire, uh, with these new rules, there's now an extra three pages to this questionnaire uh, that Fannie Mae puts out. The interesting thing about the Fannie Mae questionnaire is that they don't require the lenders to use it. So different lenders can actually send out their own questionnaire instead of using the Fannie Mae version. And the lenders do this all the time and they'll have slight wording differences in all their questions. So what I tell associations is when you get a questionnaire from a lender, contact your general counsel attorney or contact your construction defect attorney with the exact language that's in the questionnaire so that you can get a exact answer to what's in the questionnaire. 
uh, without providing any more or any less information that's being requested of the association. Yeah, I think that's uh, important guidance. Well, I guess my uh, my last question for you is uh, with regard to an association that finds itself in a situation um, where they uh, they have lost their qualification for Fannie Mae financing. What are some alternatives that uh, that should be considered, and and how how to how to think through homeowners and potential buyers getting the right kind of financing? So. When an association has lost their financing, um, we direct them to particular banks that either offer portfolio loans or offer other programs that are specifically tailored um, toward projects that haven't been able to qualify for Fannie Mae requirements. And those banks do exist. Um, Sometimes the requirements are actually easier to qualify for than the Fannie Mae requirements are. Um, They have different requirements with regard to down payments, They'll have different loan-to-value ratios, um, different requirements with regard to an owner's FICO FICO scores, um, and then sometimes they're also going to have different interest rates. So there's all kinds of different programs out there. And what we do as a firm is we actually track different programs that are out in the industry that have provided funding successfully um, through litigation or to condominium associations that have otherwise not been able to qualify and then give them specific references to these various programs that could be successful. So specifically as an association is entering into, let's say a construction defect process where they're, they're entering into litigation, they could find themselves unable to get Fannie Mae financing. Part of that consideration and, and equation should be proactively looking at, okay, how do we ensure that our, our uh, homeowners and, uh, and buyers can get the financing that they need and, and to talk to their uh, um, legal counsel specifically about those kinds of questions as a part of the, the whole process in the beginning. Do I, do I have that right? That's correct. It's always, it's always going to be a consideration for any association making a termination. Is it worth it to pursue a construction defect claim? Um, under the new Fannie Mae rules, though, the defects themselves are probably going to be just as likely to make a condominium project um, not eligible for Fannie Mae uh, lending under their guidelines, um, whether the association files litigation or not. Right. So the most important thing for the association is to identify the problems that they have, come up with a plan to address the problems, and then begin implementation of that plan. Um, they can work with engineers and then ultimately get a certificate from an engineer saying that they've addressed the critical issues within their association. And then Fannie Mae will restore those, uh, that credit, you know, financing worthiness of the association. Great. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. Is there anything that I haven't asked that, uh, that we should be talking about on this subject? I think you covered a lot of topics in a short period of time. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, thank you, Matthew. Appreciate being invited on your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much. And I hope that that was helpful for those watching and listening to this podcast and look for other episodes of The Uncommon Area where we unpack other questions relevant to homeowners associations. 